a listener production. G'day. Thanks for listening to episode 123 of the Howie Games Part B featuring golf legend Gary Player. Let's hit the back nine. Now, Gary, we were talking about the fact in 1955 you played in the Egyptian Open and you were telling me all about it and how fantastic it was there. I've read a few things about you and it's hard to know whether these are true or not, Gary, so I thought I'd put them to you. When you went to the 1955 British Open, did you or did you not sleep on a beach? Oh, very much so. I tried the hotels. I only had £200 in my pocket to last me for the season. And, um, you know, I used to carry my bags at the station, no chauffeurs, no baggage men, no going in your private jet, going by train and Greyhound bus, you know. So, But I loved it. It was good for you. And uh, I arrived at St Andrews. I couldn't find... I got off at the station. I didn't know where I was. And uh, John Jacobs, a pro, picked me up and dropped me off in town. And I tried these hotels and they were all at that stage, if I remember, like... 60 and 70 pounds a night. Now it's a 1,000 pounds a night. And uh, I said, to hell with this. I'm going to go and sleep on the beach. And uh, it was a beautiful night. And we're going to reintroduce that next year at St. Andrews when we play there. Nick Faldo had the idea of getting a sponsor. and We're going to put a tent up on the beach right by the sand dunes and, and redo it. <laughs> I said, at least this time I'll at least get a cup of coffee for nothing. But uh, uh, that's where they did the movie Chariots of Fire, right there, right right opposite them. So it's going to be fun. But that was no big deal. You know, I often slept in a stable when I was young. I remember we had no money and my parents and we were all living in a stable. And then eventually my dad worked on the mine and got us a, a mine house. So, you know, I'm very grateful for the difficulties that I encountered. And that's why I became a world champion. And I keep telling my 22 grandchildren... And children, you know, adversity is the greatest gift that can be bestowed upon you. And you're all going to have it. doesn't matter who you are. Everybody's going to have it. So did you spend the entire British Open sleeping on the beach or not? Only one night. Then I went to a hotel up in town, right opposite the 18th Green at St Andrews. And they said it was a room facing the sea. It was facing the WC. And the, <laughs> the room was so small when I put the key in it, in the, win- in the keel, the window break. So, I mean, it was very <laughs> tiny. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> the other thing is that, you know, the, they didn't have any curtains. So the sun, you know, gets dark at 11 at night and up light at 4 o'clock. So I went and bought a, a dark sheet and I pinned it up on the, on the windowsill like that to give me some dark sleep because I like to sleep nine hours a night. Nine hours? That is good going. Just before we move on, one more question for you on the Masters. 1978, when you came from a long, long way back, I think it was a seven-shot deficit on the 54th. Try and frame it around that for me. What does it take mentally to win big professional sporting events, Gary? Now, Gary Player, with this putt for a share of the lead with Hubert Green and Rod Funseth, this to go nine under, and it's a tricky putt that goes a little to the left. Safely negotiated, we have three co-leaders and there's little Gary Player who will be 42 years of age on November the 1st, making one of the great charges of his distinguished career. Well, that's a great question. And I was seven behind Tom Watson and came back in 30 on the back nine and shot 64 with a bogey to win by one. 
Arnold Palmer and Bill Lane, the chairman, congratulating Gary Player. Then I went to the next week, I was seven behind Ballesteros and shot 65 in a rainy day and beat him. And the next week I went to Houston, six behind Andy Bean, shot 64. So I won three in a row, 64, 65, 64, and finished second the following week. But what I did when I played, because I uh, struggled as a young person, I actually said, I'm really looking forward to the adversity that I'm going to have today because you can't escape it. I'm never going to feel sorry for myself and I'm not going to choke. I might not win, but I'm not going to let golf, a golf ball make me choke. When I think of the Mm. serious things in this world, how blessed am I to be playing here? And I did meditation and I exercised with weights and I slept well. I prepared myself there must be, and I visualized, I visualized, I look at the scoreboard and I saw my name there. I did a whole lot of different things that, that golfers just don't do. If a man like McElroy did what I did, he would have won the Grand Slam at the Masters. Mm. Winston Churchill, my all-time hero, said, the youth of a nation are the trustees of posterity. He also gave, and I read, the greatest statement ever, which helped me enormously in my life because I practiced it. And young people invariably come up to me and say, what do I do to be a champion? I said, I don't know. I don't know if you've got it. You might have talent, but you've got, to have, you've got to have a reasonable amount of it. And Churchill said, when they asked him why he was so sex- successful, he said, the height reached by great men and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but while his opponents were sleeping, he was toiling upward in the night. And that's what you got to do. You got to exercise in the night. You got to be reading at night like businessmen that make a success or anybody. There's no such thing as good morning or afternoon. You got to exercise. You got to work at being a champion, whatever endeavor you're trying to uh, accomplish. You got to work more than the other people. You have to. You have to. It's a work ethic. And that's what I love about Bryson DeChambeau. He's got a great work ethic. So to the mental side of it, and as you said, you were visualising your name on the scoreboard, uh, Gaz. You were doing things that the modern athlete does that wouldn't have been doing in your time. So when you are standing over, take me to an important putt that you need to hold. You're standing over that putt. You're walking up to that putt. What are your mental processes to get that ball in the hole? I'll give you an example. In 1978, there are four of us with four holes to go tied. Masters. Masters. Four of us tied. You don't see that very often. No. I get to 16 and I hit a beautiful iron shot right over the flag to the back of the green, downhill putt, fast as can be, knocked a drive mill. Birdied 15. Come to 17, I par. I get it up and down from the ball washer, basically over the green. (laughs) The ball washer. I come to the 18th hole. I hit my second shot 22 feet from the hole. And I know this, nobody's ever held a putt from the back of the, the flag to win the Masters at that stage. Since then, Sandy Lyle, Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods did it. And I look at the putt and I look at the scoreboard and I say, and my caddy, an African-American guy, when I arrived there, he says to me, hey, Gary, I need a roof over my house, man. I've got a lot of children. I said, we're going to get you a roof, Eddie. We're going to get you a roof. Don't worry. And I'm looking at him and I'm saying, how's the roof? He says, it's looking good. But he says, that hole is looking like the size of a Bayer aspirin. (laughs) 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 And and I hit this putt and I said to myself, I'm not going to think of missing or lagging it up. I'm going to knock it right in the back, man. I haven't practiced and hit more balls than any human being ever to think that am I going to make it? 
And I willed that ball right into the middle of the hole. Yes for player. Yes for Gary Player. A 64. A course record. A birdie at 18. He is 11 under par. And I never say to myself, man, I'm that good. I, one thing I never get is cocky and think how good I am because it can be taken away tomorrow. Mm. I'll give you the best example of them all, Tiger Woods. Yep. So if Tiger Woods had not made some of the wrong decisions, he went to try and join the SEAL Scouts. Ooh, those SEAL Scouts try and kill you, man. And yes. he's jumping off high areas and ruining his knees and his lower back and all things like that. But he, he was macho. He wanted to do it, and I love that. But, and then he... He's built up, he builds himself up with weights and then he drops down. And then he tells me he doesn't, he had three hours a night's sleep. Uh, he doesn't, and then he goes for a lesson after winning the US Open by 15 shots, not five. And he goes along and he has lessons from guys who can't break 85 at the Masters. Now, how about that? <laughs> Off the back team. So what happens? He doesn't win a major for 11 years. Now, had he ne if he came to me after winning the US Open by 15 shots, I would have said, Tiger, go home. I've got nothing to tell you. You can't improve. There's nothing. All you can do is work harder and work on your mind. So what happens? He doesn't win a major for 11 years. And the other, there are a whole lot of reasons why. And it's not for me to be sitting here and criticizing because nah. I'm not. But if he'd, made the, if he'd made the right decision, he was winning one, two majors a year. So if he won just one every 11 years, he would have won 26. And that to yeah. me, because there's no question that Nicholas, I think, has the best record in America with majors. But Tiger Woods, would have, Tiger Woods was the most talented golfer that ever played, but he never got the record that he, he should have. A few more for you. There's stories, again, about some of the people you've met, and I'm not sure, again, if it's true, so I want to run it by you. Did you, Gary, or did you not meet the great Elvis Presley? I did. I, was, I went on Good Morning America or one of those TV shows after I won my first Masters in 1961. And I'm talking to the, the lady or the man there, I can't remember, and she says, well, what do you like besides uh, golf and, and, and racehorses? I said, give me your guitar there. It was a guitar behind it. And I said, I took the guitar and I said, you can do anything, but don't step on my blue suede shoes. So, <laughs> and I gave, a, I gave a nice little hip movement there, baby. And the next thing I get a, I was going to say an SMS, but it was a telegram in those days. <laughs> Elvis says, I want to meet you. And I said, I want to meet you, King. And I went down to L.A. when he was doing the movie called Hawaii. And I walk in there and I've got a tie on and I'm nicely dressed. And he sees me and he says, cut. And he comes out. He goes and puts a jacket on first. He was a real gentleman. Comes out and he says, I want to play golf. And I said, well, let me see your grip. Well, it was one of these Harley Davidson grips, you know, around here somewhere. <laughs> And I said, he, he said, what's important? I said, well, Elvis, you've got to learn to use your hips. He says, the hips. I said, yes. He says, baby, you're talking to the right man. <laughs> oh, I, I, I loved Elvis. And, you know, he died at 42 years of age. And I'm still listening to his music. And, you know, when people like Elvis die... And a man like Muhammad Ali, who could have been a great peace man, he, was a, a, he liked peace. And, uh, you know, when you think what's happening in the world today, particularly America, uh, it's not the United States anymore. It's a division of states. 
They are fighting each other, and it's such a shame because the Western world has got to stick together. We've got to. I love, I love Australia. They, they always so sensible. They're always so sensible. Uh, but anyway, so here we are, living in a world now where we need more love. Remember, I told you the four things, the ingredients yeah. for living a long time, and let's do them again: eating half what you eat. Making sure you exercise every day, which is harder. It's easier to get a camel through the eye of a needle. The other thing is to laugh, like you and I laughing here all the time. We're laughing all the time. You got to laugh. Keeps you young, and then have unmeasured love in your heart. This hatred and this terrible stuff I'm seeing in America at the moment is so sad for this great, great country. The nastiness, the hatred I'm seeing is not America that I know. And I, and I still say we mustn't let those people, as Martin Luther King so aptly said, love overrules hate. And the majority mm. of Americans are such good people. We mustn't let these nasty people take over. Did you meet Donald Bradman? I did meet Sir Don. And every year I went up to Adelaide, I saw him. And we'd have a long chat. He loved golf. And I always gave him my gloves that I'd been using, which were almost new. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to ask him for a signed bat. Can, I, would, be, uh, would be so cherished because, I don't, you know, Ken Dulker, you know, you've got all these wonderful Sir Don Bradman. You could go down the line. Who is your best? Who do you think is the best? But I want to tell you something. <laughs> Nobody was better than Don Bradman. I mean, if you look at the pitchers today, they know how to take care of them better. The bat is bigger. The bat, I mean, it, it's just, it's like comparing golf clubs now compared to when we played. That's how yes. good, that's how, that's when you realise how good he was. More of Gary in a moment. We have been fortunate enough on this show to feature quite a few golfers already. The late, great Jared Lyle, what a man, on episode 51. Kari Webb, episode 84. The first Aussie ever to win the US Masters, Adam Scott, episode 100. Mark Leishman, episode 110. But the first golf we ever featured on the show was way back in episode 14, where the great white shark himself, Greg Norman, joined the podcast. I'll tell you the truth, I mean, there's times when I've gone down to my beach and sat down there and just take a, taken a couple of beers on my own and just got away from people. Uh, most of the time, not most of the time, I would say I'm very good with my friends and family where I don't want to show my hurt to them because it, to me, it's, it's as I, I keep repeating it, it's just a game. But at the same time, I think it's also important for you, the individual like me, uh, to express to myself the 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 hurt, um, and that's why I do it on my own. I just took a couple of beers, went down the beach, sat down, and and shed a tear. Now that is Greg Norman on episode fourteen of the show. Let's rejoin Gary. I really want to talk to you about health and fitness and motivation. Obviously, it's been a lifelong project for you. It's something I'm really interested in. You're still doing so much work to keep yourself physically fit. What's your typical routine nowadays? Like, what are you actually doing when you go to the gym? Do you work out every day? No, not every day. I don't like working out every day. I think you've got to give your cells a chance to recuperate all your muscles. Uh, I just think that four times is ample. First of all, all my life I've been exercising since I was nine. So that's a long, long time. That's 76 years. 
Yeah. Uh, I've always thought that exercise was the most important, but eating is the more important. Um, I think to live well and to live long, there are four things you've got to adhere to. Eat half as much. Exercise continuously. Don't start for a year, then give it up. Mm -hmm. Laugh three times as much because that enhances your endorphins, which produce the youthful cells, which make you younger and have unmeasured love in your heart and respect for people. Now, if you can do those and don't get a disease of some kind, which by doing those, by the way, you'll build up a strong immune system. But telling people that, Harvey, is like trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle. People <laughs> overeat, they drink, they smoke, they go to bed late, they don't worry what they eat, they don't exercise, they don't laugh sufficiently, and they're miserable. So currently, and you've given me the four tenets of what you believe in for health and, and fitness. So, so you said you work out four times a week now. What are you typically doing? Give me a typical workout. Is it sit-ups and push-ups or is it weights or is it cardio? What are you doing? Well, everything. I do a lot of neck exercise, a lot of neck and dynamic tension on my neck. And then I work, I work on my body. I, then I do my wrist curls and I do them all different directions. Uh, I work from my head right down to my feet. Now feet, most golf pros at 85 have got terrible foot problems. I have no foot problems because I exercise. Uh, I do the toe raises with heavy weight. I do squats. <laughs> I do thousands of crunches uh, and stomach exercises. I run on the treadmill at 85 at max, at max. Dear. Yeah, and I run sideways too, not only just forwards. So what I'm doing is equivalent to a, a 30-year-old when I'm in the gym. I'm telling you, I do a lot of deadlifts. I do, I do everything. I do everything you can think of. I do stretching. I swing a heavy-weighted club. I do every single thing but the eating. And uh, I'm not eating... My exercise I'm happy with. I'm happy with everything in my life at the moment. But, you know, when I was on my farm in South Africa, I was up at 5 o'clock in the morning, going to bed at 9.30. Now with COVID and being in America, based because my wife is sick, I can't go back to South Africa at the moment. I go to bed at 11.30 and 12, watching the news and watching a movie, snacking. Now, the worst thing you can do is dinner. You've got to eat breakfast like a king, mm. lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. But we all eat like it's the last supper, and it might be the last supper you have. <laughs> sure. Well, I've got another question for you. This time you get my daughter. So this is Sky, but she, her nickname is The Pickle. She's 11, and this is the question she has for you. Are you ready for The Pickle, Gary? Anything you like. Hi, Mr. Play. Pickle here. I've been very privileged, even though I'm only 11, to go to lots of different places around the world. When we went to America, my favourite place to go was Disneyland. When we went to Costa Rica, my favourite thing was the warm water. And when we went to South Africa, my favourite thing was the safaris. I love seeing all the wild animals. Dad told me that you won the Australian Open seven times. Wow. What's your favourite thing about Australia? Ah, pickle. Reach for the sky and always remember that saying, reach for the sky. You've got to have a dream and you've got to have dreams of uh, reaching the sky. And if you don't get them, you can't be too disappointed in yourself. Always be happy. That's the most important thing, healthy and happy. Uh, what I love most about Australia, everything. 
<laughs> I just loved, I loved the parrots and I loved the koala bears and I, I just loved everything about Australia, the climate, the people, the golf courses, uh, everything about it, the efficiency in the airlines. Oh, I, I just, I just loved Australia. You're very lucky to live in that beautiful country, love. Thank you. When did you first start wearing black, Gary? Because that's your, that's your signature, you know, the black knight, as they call you. When did it first come to pass? I came here, as I say, in 1957, and my dad always said to me, and he was a miner, he didn't have, he didn't have any education to speak of at all. He worked 8,000 feet underground, whatever it was, and made 100 pounds a month at the most. And I said, Dad, I'm going to be the best player in the world. He said, well, I don't know about that, son. He said, but if you do, you've got to have a brand. So I came over here and there was a man called, a show called Have Gun, Will Travel. Jack Paladin was his name, dressed in a black cowboy hat, dressed in black with silver holsters. And he met people, he, he met people with problems and he said, here's my card. If I can help you, call on me. And I thought, wow, that's really cool. And so I wore black because I was from black Africa and that was my trademark, the Black Knight. And it made me a lot of money having a trademark, I must say. So it, my advice to others, you see, my dad was very wise. He said, you know, later on when I bought a farm, he said, you know, all the sheep are walking next to each other, the one with its head right near the other one's bottom as they walk and walk. He said, pick your head up and get out and get the fresh air. Don't be like the sheep. And uh, I always remember that. And... Uh, so that stood me in good stead. I get where you're coming from. Hopefully there's not too many sheep listening to this show, Gary. Quick sidetrack. You mentioned last week in the player profile about your first job. I wanted to follow you up on that. You mentioned off air. You told me you had a story about that first job. First job was at a driving range and they had another pro in, in America, actually, by the name of Gary Player. Ah. And he used to go to the tournament and they'd kick him out. They said, you're not Gary Player. Get out of here. He had to get his PJ card and carry with him all the time. And I'll never forget, I was in Australia and the first news that came out, Gary Player shot 88 and my dad had a heart attack. I phoned him, he said, what, ha he said, what happened today? I said, no, there's another Gary Player here. <laughs> he said, thank goodness. To, to generally finish, Gaz, uh, we have a lot of children listen to this show so for the kids out there, and you've already given us some great lessons, maybe for adults, but for the kids out there that want to achieve something in their life, whatever field that may be, whether it be the arts or sports or science or humanities, what bit of advice could you give them from your experiences and the success you've achieved? Uh, well, first of all, they've got to learn you're going to win and you're going to lose. And that's absolutely nonsense. One of the great coaches of America said, show me a good loser and I'll show you a non-winner. Well, that's absolute hogwash. You've got to be a good loser as a good winner. That has no effect on your determination and your character and your determination to do well. So you, my dad always said, congratulate the man who beats you and look him in the eye because when you beat him, you'd like him to congratulate you. So do unto others as you'd like done unto yourself. Play your sport, try your hardest, never give up, never feel sorry for yourself. That's the big thing. And have respect for your, your opponents. Yes, to win is nice, but 
They're going to be winners and they're going to be losers. And a lot of people are not destined to be winners in sport. But you can be winners somewhere else. You can be a good wife one day. You can be a good husband one day. You can be a good Samaritan one day. But, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's something that you've got to have a passion for. I never got tired, Howie, of practicing. I never got tired. Now, what a gift that is, man. Even at 85, I mean, I'm in the gym and I'm playing golf and I'm walking around and I'm busy all the time. I keep moving. I don't get very tired. And at 85, when I get into bed at night, I'm very tired. But man, energy, what a gift it is. When I went to a dinner, I came back at 12 o'clock at night. I went to the manager of the hotel. Please, may I have the keys for the gym? Oh, no, it's locked. I said, I promise you I'll bring the key back. It wasn't, there were no hours. I didn't say because it's morning I have to exercise. I had to exercise that day. And I had to do a program. And I had to live by that program. Not manana. You know, you live in, in, in a few places when you go to Qatar and you sit back on the veranda with a, a, a cigar, you can say manana. But you want to be a world champion? There's no manana. You've got to do more, Howie. How you've got to do more than the other person does. If you, you've got to outwork them. You've got to outwork them. So have you done your sit-ups today? How many crunches would you have done today? No, I'm going to the gym uh, now in another 30 minutes and I'll do at least oh, at least 500 crunches, sit-ups and stomach exercises and then I'll run on the treadmill and I'll do my weights for my arms and I'll do my squats and I'll do all these, all these kind of exercises. I still do hundreds of crunches with a 50-pound weight on my chest getting ready to go to 100 pounds. <laughs> Well, good luck on that journey to 100 pounds, Gary. I've no doubt you'll get there. This has been a real thrill for me. I introduced you at the start as an icon of the game. So it means a lot for me to have the opportunity to sit here and chat with you and reflect on history, but also take so many lessons about golf and mental preparation and health and fitness. So thank you so, so much, Gary, for giving me some of your time, for coming on the Howie Games. I hope everything goes well with your wife moving forward. Thank you so much for having such a great chat with me. Thank you, mate. I told you at the start that Gary has a tremendous amount of energy. What about the pep in his step? Thanks to Gary, his grandson James and the ginger cat for making it all happen. I loved, absolutely loved Gary's positive message and his healthy body, healthy mind approach. Hopefully you all took something from it. Hopefully Das took something from Gary's thoughts on how to become a better golfer while he was cutting the whole show. Nothing in there about how to tame the big dog on the tee though, guru. Please do not forget to check out Gary's new podcast, The Player Files. Until next week, with G.S. Chapel, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Listener.